This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese and so excited to once again be joined this week by Mr. Matt Caraccio and Jeff Abercrombie. Matt, welcome back. Oh, Paul. Again, back in the saddle. Again, this is two weeks in a row. I'm on an all-time streak right now. <laughs> so I don't, I don't really know what to say other than it's exciting to be here. Another week of college football in the books. A second week kind of winding down now in the NFL. I mean, it's going to be really intriguing to see how a lot of these players, both sophomores in the NFL, rookies in the NFL, uh, current draftable players in college football and even those incoming freshmen, how they begin to kind of mature and develop. So hopefully we'll have our, you know, fingers on the pulse as we continue this episode tonight. And I'm just really excited to get going. And Jeff, welcome back. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, it's, um, we're two weeks in three weeks in college football. The narratives are developing. You can start seeing the, the pace of the season, but it's still early. So there's still like a lot more to go and, and you could just, you, the excitement's building. Absolutely. So let's get right into a lot to talk about. We'll get right into the NFL draft report. And I want to start the quarterback position and three names I have written on my list. And I'd love to kind of just run through the guys who I have written down in my notes. And then you guys can kind of take wherever you want. Two of them are the two big names, obviously, uh, Sam Howell and Spencer Rattler. We have talked about them. I know Jeff and I, on the first episode of the 2022 NFL Draft Report, talked about how both of them kind of got off to a ho-hum start. Uh, And then this past week, Oklahoma, in a much closer game to Nebraska than I think people expected, and Rattler was a little shaky, 24-34, only 214 yards and one touchdown. Really didn't put up those pinball-type stats, those arcade game stats you kind of expect from that Oklahoma offense. And then Sam Howell, 14 of 21, threw for over 300 yards, five touchdowns. Also added 112 yards on the ground. And that's kind of where I wanted to start. And, Matt, you know, you weren't on the show, uh, you know, the previous shows prior to the college football season starting. But I think one thing that's really started to stand out a little bit with Howell for me is the the bonus in terms of his athleticism. I don't think he's on a level, you know, like we assorted guys who came out in this draft class, but it definitely is an added element to his game. And that scheme there at UNC obviously really puts him in positions where he can pick up yards on the ground. But when I watch Rattler play and I watch Howell play, I think they're good prospects. I don't, I don't really see them at a high level that were anywhere near where we saw a handful of guys this past year, just kind of wanted to kind of pick your brain from what you've seen with those guys. Do you kind of see it the same way? And if so, is there some concerns or things you like about Rattler and Howell's game? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go right there to Sam Howell. Um, I, I think Sam Howell is really going to develop into the consummate quarterback that can, again, you know, potentially be a starter, but I, I don't see him as a franchise QB or at least, his level of game is not one that I would feel all that confident in taking at the top of a draft. Um, now, that being said, I'm also not going to say that, you know, I've dug into his all 22 tape yet and can really say to, to great exactitudes what his actual level of problem solving and diagnosing the coverages and making the plays and developing and adapting. I can't speak to that quite yet. 
But at first blush, from when he was coming out of high school to where he is now, I saw him as a very competent quarterback that could potentially develop into a starter. And I still think we're along that trajectory right now. And I don't necessarily see that, you know, that hands down, you know, franchise QB. I think Spencer Rattler is a victim of the success of Oklahoma, to be honest with you, as much as he is a good player. I think everybody's just assuming Lincoln Riley is just going to be chugging out, you know, Heisman Trophy candidates, which he's been doing, and also, you know, top flight QB prospects, which he's really been doing too. But I think that Spencer Rattler, I think he has an incredible ability to, you know, throw from a lot of different arm angles and adapt to situations really well. I do like what he can bring in terms of, you know, we talk about that timeline of a play in terms of the way in which the routes break relative to the footwork of the quarterback, as well as the angles protecting the offensive line and the depth of the tackles creating that pocket, right? There's all those little nuances. And we know that at the snap of the football, just like the Mike Tyson quote goes, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. And that's exactly what happens. The plan is the wrong thing to have. We all have potentialities of things that can occur. Once the ball is snapped, we know everything goes to you know kingdom come, so to speak. And I do believe that Spencer Rattler offers you that adaptability in terms of his physical capacities, but also of his abilities to read coverage to really maybe take his game to a level where the NFL is finally seems to be comfortable going. And I think that's why I hold on to Spencer Rattler a little bit more than I do Sam Howell. I'm a little bit more there with Spencer Rattler as a potential franchise QB, but I think it's only because of the things we see players now doing in the NFL and not necessarily because he is an all systems, all world quarterback. Make no mistake about it. Justin Fields can be successful in any system. Make no mistake about it. So can Trevor Lawrence. Those guys were unicorns, and yet we have yet to see their full potential come to realization. But I do believe that they were unicorns at their positions, very consistent with what we saw out of like Andrew Luck once upon a time. But I don't think Spencer Rattler's that type of player. I do think you're going to have to get a creative you know, guy to use him, like the Kyle Shanahan's and the Trey Lances. Those are the guys that you're going to need to kind of marry up. But that's that's my that's kind of my four one one. I'm sure you guys echoed a lot of things that were said already. Um, but that's kind of where I stand on these guys. Yeah, I mean, when I previewed these guys prior to the year, I did have Rattler at one and Howell at two, which is a little bit different than what the consensus was out there. I, I feel like Sam Howell has gotten a lot of Baker Maker uh, <laughs> Baker Mayfield comparisons, and I kind of see it in terms of what they provided. I just thought Baker had bigger moments and bigger spots in college football where I felt a little bit more confident in him translating than I do right now about Sam Howell. I think there's still legitimate questions about Sam Howell in terms of I feel like that scheme at UNC really makes things easy for him, that he is going to be a very much projection-based player. And I understand a lot of players are, in, especially at the quarterback position. But I don't think, you know, and listen, in this draft class that just came out may have spoiled us a little bit, right? Because we had Trevor Lawrence and we had Justin Fields and, you know, we had Trey Lance and then we had the Riser and Zach Wilson. And they have these, most of those guys have these elite physical capabilities in some capacity. And I'm not sure how will a Rattler have that. Jeff, any, any thoughts you want to chime in there? If there's, if there's either one of these guys remind you of somebody, if, if we're just 
are we holding them too too high of a pedestal based on how high this past quarterback class was in terms of guys that we thought were pro ready? And I mean, and this week, and we'll get to it in the NFL rookie report. We see just how hard it is for rookie quarterbacks and, and the rude awakening that is the NFL. Are we maybe just holding them to too high of a standard trying to compare them to last year's class? I think that's a good point, mostly because um, we were really spoiled last year. Um, those quarterbacks were um, probably some of the best class that we'd seen in a really long time. And most classes will look a lot like this one. Um, we saw Zach Wilson kind of get a lot of hype um, and he, he elevated his stock, I think, um, in very different prospects, all of them. But Rattler and Howell, I think, are of that tier, of that sort of pedigree where, you know, someone will take a chance on them as a franchise quarterback, whether that might be merited or not. Um, I think Matt said it well. I think I, I haven't really seen enough to kind of move off of my um, statements that we talked about at the the start of the season. Um, I have seen a little bit of development from Rattler as far as, you know, staying in the pocket and kind of seeing the game from more of a traditional quarterback perspective than just um, an athletic problem solver who works mainly off script, although that's still, you know, the bulk of his game. Um, but I, I do think it's worth touching upon, you know, how and his, his sort of rushing ability, his, his scrambling ability, you know, he hit a hundred yards last week as well. Not that he's some Kyler Murray or anything, but in my notes from his, uh, 2020 tape. Um, again, I just, I thought he was elusive in the pocket behind the line of scrimmage and he had really good scramble ability. And so I think you can see that come out in chunks. And to me that, that signifies that he can move around on an NFL field enough to create. Uh, I do think there's again, a little bit of, he's, he's not an off script player, mostly I think from his processing perspective, um, but, I, and, and again, I think there's some other limitations there, you know, with his, with his arm strength again, like I think I said at the week one West coast kind of quick hitting quarterback, you mentioned the scheme helps him up. Um, that's going to be the case for a lot of starting NFL quarterbacks as well. Like most of them are somewhat scheme dependent. Yeah, absolutely. And We've talked about this many times on air that the NFL is starting to do a better job of putting these guys in situations to be successful in incorporating their college scheme at times into the, into the NFL and getting these guys comfortable. And I think Matt, you brought it up and Jeff, you just reiterated it. A guy like Spencer Rattler is going to have to be put into a right scheme and a right system to take advantage of a skill set. And I think Sam Howell too, right? Those legs are an asset for Sam Howell, and he's going to have to be put into a situation where they're utilized. Here in New York, we see, you know, every week with the Giants, Daniel Jones is at his best when he is asked to be moving around and running and running the RPOs and getting him in that. I just feel like if he makes big plays on the ground, he just has a different 
confidence level and you see him make more plays in the game and they don't utilize it enough. I think a coach with Sam Howell is going to need to understand that that's a big part of his game. That's been a big part of his game at UNC and it's got to translate over to the NFL as well and putting them in right positions to succeed. Two other quick quarterback notes, and I'm, I'm just going to run through them and then we'll transition right to running backs, is we got to keep an eye on uh, Ken Slovis, a guy we've talked about on here. He suffered an injury this week, so I don't know the extent of that. Their backup came in and was pretty productive. So, you know, Slovis is a guy who's been a little bit up and down, and we've talked about I don't think he's ever going to reach the ceiling that maybe some people thought he was going to have. And then, you know, his former teammate, JT Daniels, who's now in Georgia, He's a guy with a lot of raw physical tools, had a really good game this week. It was against South Carolina, so let's keep it in perspective, but over 300 yards, three touchdowns. He's a guy we're just looking for some consistency. And as Georgia gets into the heart of their really tough SEC schedule, he's a guy that I think could really see his stock fluctuate. And if he has some really good games against some top-level you know, opponents in the SEC or if Georgia makes a playoff run or anything like that, JT Daniels is a guy that we can see him really elevate his stock. So, you know, hopefully the South Carolina game is is a sign of, of things to come. But let's take this over to the running back position. And I'm actually going to stay with the Georgia Bulldogs. And I kind of want to bring you guys in, either one of you, if anybody has thoughts, is I feel like a lot of people expected Zamir White to kind of take that backfield by storm. And he just isn't doing it right now. Like this past week, eight carries, 51 yards, and highly, highly regard high school prospect years ago. You know, obviously, you know, Mont, you know, really good size, frame, power, good straight line speed. But he just hasn't lived up to that pedigree that in terms of what the Debbie community thought of him. And James Cook is starting to be the guy that I'm a little bit intrigued with. And he's never going to be a guy who's going to put up these gaudy stats because Georgia just doesn't utilize him enough. And, and I, I know this is going to sound – I don't want to say he's on this level because I don't yes, think he do. is. Yes, you I don't do. Think he is. Everybody just <laughs> overlooks him. He finally getting a chance. Everybody just overlooks him. But when you see James Cook impact the game like he can, small glimpses, small glimpses of what we saw Alvin Kamara do at Tennessee. Not going to Alvin Kamara NFL success. I'm not predicting that for for James Cook. But what I do think is is that James Cook hasn't been utilized. Part of it's been his own right. Part of it's been injury. But James Cook has not been utilized. And when I watched him this summer, I came away intrigued with the limited film that he had. And this past week, four carries, 51 yards and a touchdown, four catches, 20 yards and a touchdown. In today's NFL, where they want those versatile offensive playmakers, yeah, James Cook's not going to be drafted to be a bell cow. James Cook's not even going to be drafted to probably be a guy who carries the ball 10, 12 times a game. But could James Cook be a guy that can get 8 to 12 touches a game? Yeah, I think he can be, and I think he's an explosive player. And right now, if you ask me who could have more of an impact at the next level, Zamir White as an early down runner, which I think is what he'll be at the NFL level, or James Cook, I think James Cook for today's NFL could be that. So, so Matt, I mean, I know you, 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 I saw from your reaction, your sentiment is, 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 seems to be there with me with James Cook. So maybe quick thoughts on, on James Cook and Zamir White or one of them or how, wherever you want to go with it. No, no, I, I just wanted to really just reiterate what I saw of him coming out of high school 
which really was a phenomenally dynamite player. And obviously Dalvin Cook is probably the better half of that Cook family. But um, I do think that James brings exactly what you just described. I mean, look at everything that's going on right now with Kenneth Gainwell, right? Okay. I mean, James Cook, could you, could you just literally rinse and repeat and say, Kenneth Gainwell, James Cook, that could work? I mean, because I think you can. James Cook is an extremely good mover in the open field. He has great agility in the open field. He reads space as well. Coming into Georgia, you're right, Paul. A lot of it was there was, you know, there was a very deep running back core for a number of years, right? For a number of years and seasons. There was, again, situations of his own doing that prevented him from seeing the field. And now that he's getting a little bit of burn, I think he's the type of player that, you know, we're looking at, we're looking at how the NFL is trending. And I mean, we said the other day, Paul, I mean, like we all talk about the zero running back theory in fantasy football. It seems to be trending that way, unless you're an otherworldly type of back. And I could easily see James Cook going in like the fourth or fifth round of the draft. And finding his way in a, you know, in a short depth chart by the end of training camp and being again, that, that, you know, Jared Patterson, Kenneth Gainwell, you know, uh, Demetric Felton. I mean, I can see a lot of that, a lot of that in his game. And I think Paul, that's what we said last year, the rise, the rise of the, what we called at the time, the wing back or slot back, is emerging the guy who's a hybrid somewhere between a slot wide receiver and a third down running back, you know, in terms of a pass catcher, that hybrid guy, I thought Duvernay was going to be that guy, but James cook fits that role as well. And Demetric Felton is living in that role a little bit right now in Cleveland and Kenneth Gainwell, same thing. I think that player is going to is going to make a consistent living in the NFL moving forward as they tend to spread them and shred them as we keep going in this offensive explosion that really now, now seems to be sweeping the league. Yeah, Jeff, any thoughts on either Zamir White or James Cook or even the general idea of what Matt and I were just talking about how the the league is changing and you know, teams are looking for these guys who can play dual roles and maybe that could actually push James Cook's viability ahead of a guy like Zemir White, who's more of just a traditional interior runner, grinded out yards. And yeah, he's going to have way more gaudy stats than James Cook in terms of collegiately, you know, but, but in terms of what the NFL wants, are we trending more towards like a guy like James Cook? Probably. There will be rules, uh, roles for both, right? But you're going to see people get more excited about the cook role, right? Um, now, obviously, I think we were at one point, you know, like you mentioned, the hopes for Zamir White were to trend to a early day two pick probably. And at this point in time, we're, we're not really going to see that. Maybe these guys would go pretty close together, right? You know, these round fives. We talked about how Jerry and Ely you know, a guy we both really like, um, but also, again, like living in that same role, you know, maybe not a premium draft capital role, but an impact on the field. And so I think that's kind of what you'll see. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be something that it's going to be really interesting because like we talked about before I mentioned JT Daniels and, and how it plays out in Georgia's big games. When when they are start, you know, when they're in that primetime CBS slot against an Alabama or the best of the best in the ACC, who rises to the top? Does Amir White pull, put up a 200-yard game, two touchdowns, and change the narrative back towards him and, and looked at, you know, in the light of like an A.J. Dillon-type player, like a big physical imposing back who's got some straight-line speed? Or is it James Cook, you know, playing, you know, that role of a hybrid offensive weapon that that's making a big play to keep them in a game against Alabama or, you know, or, or give them the lead against Auburn or something like that? I think it's going to be really interesting to follow that. The other spot I really wanted to talk about at the running back position is the wave of transfers. And this was something that I talked about in the preview show prior to the season starting. We had a lot of running back movement in, in the, you know, in, in college football in terms of people transferring from one school to the next. And Eric Gray is smack dab in the middle of a timeshare with Kennedy Brooks. Jeff, me and you talked about that the first week of the draft report this past week, 15 carries for Gray, 14 for Kennedy Brooks. You're starting to see Gray at least kind of even with Brooks now in terms of carries. I could see Gray making moves similar to how Trey Sermon broke away from Master Teague last year towards the end of the year. I could see that materializing with Eric Gray down the stretch, uh, I had really high hopes for Keontae Ingram when he went to USC. He hasn't really been able to k- kind of get it going there. And then the one who really popped this week was Ty Chandler, right? We talked about Sam Howell at UNC. Ty Chandler was a guy I really was intrigued with at Tennessee, you know, before last year even started. And then Tennessee's offensive woes kind of really hurt, impacted and hurt him. You know, but Ty Chandler this past week, 20 carries, 198 yards, and two touchdowns. These transfer guys, it's going to be interesting to kind of how shake things out. You know, Chandler's going to get a real opportunity there to lead that UNC backfield. I thought Ingram was going to be able to do the same for USC. Hasn't really materialized yet. And then obviously Eric Gray, we've talked about, he's obviously very much in the mix there. But any any thoughts on these, and any of them, you don't have to touch upon all three of them, is there... Anything about one of these guys that that maybe you want to talk about, Matt? I'll go over to you first. Um, you, you know what? I mean, the the one that intrigues me most is Eric Gray. Um, I I really liked him out of high school. Um, I, I think he was really good in the open field. I had really positive uh, feelings about him in terms of being, you know, a pretty tough runner and a pretty good both in between tackles, but also in space. Um, he, he's a player that I, I, I'm very, very intrigued. And to your point, I think could see a larger kind of disproportionate share of that backfield as time goes forward. But, you know, I think Kennedy Brooks is, is still, you know, still pretty good. Um, and I don't, I don't know if that's going to be as easy to overcome. I, I think Master Teague for, I think he was a, a, you know, a very interesting player, but I do think Master Teague, uh, is not quite the runner that Kennedy Brooks is. I, I do like Kennedy Brooks a little bit more. Um, but, I, I, I think Eric Gray is a really nice back that I think is going to find a home in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, when I watch Gray and, and Brooks, I don't think he's on the level because, you know, Matt and I were big, big fans here of Joe Mixon. But I do kind of look at that backfield the same way I once upon a time thought about Joe Mixon and Samaj P. Ryan, that they were both good college players, but Samaj P. Ryan, 
uh, P. Ryan profiled more as a backup depth running back between the tackles guy and Mixon profiled as potential a very good starting NFL running back. And I kind of see that for, for Gray or Brooks as, as well in the future. Jeff, any thoughts on either Gray or Brooks? I know we talked about him a little bit week one or anything about either Chandler or Ingram uh, or maybe even another running back I haven't mentioned that that you wanted to mention something about. No, I just I noted last week, too, just where uh, we saw Gray start pulling even with Brooks. We didn't touch on it because the matchup and didn't have enough context there. But again, with this game, you saw Eric Gray as a more dynamic runner. You saw him a little bit more electric out on the field. And um, I, I, it, I haven't gotten in, like Matt said, got to look at the all 22, right? Um, I haven't gone in and actually like charted or graded out these runs um, looking for, you know, how they solve problems and nuances, but you know, my one caution and, and honestly, I think we're seeing Eric Gray maybe take a step forward here. My only caution, because I, I can't speak to it otherwise, is that we fall in love with, you know, these dynamic jump cut, you know, huge, strong dynamic motion players, right? Because it, it's just kind of sort of wows us. They look, you know, they make, they juke players, out, you know, <laughs> you know, miss tackles. It, it's just, it's an easy thing to fall in love with, but, um, and I think the reason we fall in love with it is because when they hit, they tend to be very dynamic and electric players on the NFL field as well. The ones that, you know, star in your fantasy lineups, but the position does have a lot more nuance to it. You know, you have to be able to do the details. Um, And I think, you know, we've got the green Bay Detroit game on, and and that's sort of what you're seeing with DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams. You've got a, you know, guy everybody loves from this dynamic space player, but you've still got a guy who's out there, taking on a ton of carries and catches because he's fundamentally sound in Jamal Williams. And so I, I, I think that's the only caution. Um, I, I did take a note as I was watching the game, a recap of the game that um, I saw Gray put, put together a really good pass block rep. Those are the types of little details that, you know, once we dig into the tape at the end of the season, we're going to look for. Um, so that was encouraging. And, and I do think if you were to, Tell me now, who who would I probably get more excited for come April? It, it's probably going to be Eric Gray if I'm taking a bet. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that he's going to be a guy that you're going to see, you know, make some big plays that stand out and his versatility is going to tr- intrigue teams more. And he's the guy who I think when this is all said and done, you're going to see go as a second or third round pick. And people are going to be excited about him. So I think the talent is there for him, for him to warrant that pick in the th- somewhere in the top 100. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how high he can climb based on the rest of this season. Before we round out uh, the NFL draft report with our pass catchers, I did want to make one quick note. If you were watching the Florida-Alabama game and you were wondering who one of the most be- – explosive players on the Florida side was and why you don't know much about him. His name is Malik Davis. He is a running back and do me a favor, go to YouTube and type in Malik Davis freshman season. And it was a long time ago and you will see some explosive. And I mean, truly explosive playmaking ability from his freshman year in terms of return skills, in terms of big playability out of the backfield, catching passes, or just as a running back. And then 
he he kind of just battled a lot of injuries and lost playing time and moved down the depth chart. And now, you know, in his, I think it's his red shirts senior year, he's kind of now reemerged to be a part of this team. And there's a lot of intrigue with him in terms of just a player with a lot of athletic ability, a lot of speed, a lot of elusiveness, and he's getting an opportunity now and, you know, 10 carries, 96 yards and a touchdown and making big plays against Alabama is, is something that you at least got to acknowledge. And I'm excited for him because he was a guy years ago I thought was going to emerge into a big time playmaker. And then injuries and stuff just kind of ravaged his sophomore and junior years. And like I said, one of those years ended as a red shirt, I believe, also. So it's nice to see him. And then I mentioned to him, I think, two weeks ago. We need to really start paying attention now to what Kenneth Walker of Michigan State's doing because he, another explosive week, 27 carries, 172 yards, you know, 5'10", uh, 210 pounds. He's emerging into a legitimate NFL prospect. He's going to be one of the first guys added to the scouting notebook. I'm going to wait one, maybe two more weeks to just get another game or two of film on him and then do a deep dive into him because Kenneth Walker is a guy who has really stood out in the early going of this college football season out of the backfield. So stock up on him before he's a very big national you know, name. He might be a guy you want to try to slip on your radar in, in Debbie uh, for sure. So let's start to sit of pass catchers. And I don't have a lot of names here especially the wide receivers, but I do have three names. I'll bring them all up and you guys can kind of, you know, pick who you want to talk about. David Bell out of Purdue, seven catches, 64 yards. I bring him up because I think he's a very polarizing player in the college football landscape because I think the Debbie community and the draft Twitter community looks at him as one of the alpha guys in college football at the wide receiver position. And by that, I mean, either one, two, or three in terms of best receivers in the country. And I think the NFL might view him a little bit differently based on reading things from Dame Brugge before the, the year started and other guys who have some more inside sources who he's a good prospect, but just maybe not at the level of what the draft Twitter community thinks. I know when I watched him play, I said, I got some Calvin Harmon vibes and I loved Calvin Harmon. He was my number two or number three wide receiver that you're coming out. But the NFL thought very differently of Calvin Harmon. They didn't think he had the athletic ability to, you know, be a big time separator at the next level. I think David Bell's got more separation ability than him. But at the catch point, I think they're very similar players. So any thoughts on David Bell, Drake London, another monster performance, 13 catches, 170 yards and two touchdowns. I'll continue to say, Part Mike Evans, part Brandon Marshall. He's a guy ticketed for top 50. I don't see that changing. And then the one who intrigued me the most this week in, in, in the Penn State game is Jahan Dotson, 10 catches, 78 yards, and a touchdown. He's got some big playability. He's somewhere on that Deontay Johnson to Tyler Lockett spectrum as a vertical slot player who could really impact the game. If you get him the ball, and I think he's a better route runner than maybe people give him credit for, but he's a guy who can get over the top, be explosive after the catch. So, Matt, any thoughts on any of those guys, Bell, London, Dotson, kind of maybe, you know, pick one and go? Well, I had a chance to watch a lot of Drake London in that USC game. And, you know, to, to your point, when you talk about Mike Evans and Brandon Marshall, um, what, what I appreciate about his game is 
I think that there's a lot of there's more subtlety and sensitivity to his routes than maybe people give him credit for because I think at first you know at first glance I think people will tab him as kind of a my ball you know point of you know at the point you know at the catch point type of player that's going to try to kind of manhandle you and play basketball and I I don't I don't necessarily think that's entirely fair. Um, I do think that there's a lot of subtlety to the way he, you know, enters his routes and exits routes. He does have a sensitivity to the the leverage of the defender and what he may need to do to create separation. Um, he does a great job exiting his route in that way. Um, in fact, in one particular exposure that was over the weekend, you know, it was a, a catch for a touchdown and what he did an excellent job doing, it was on an in route. And I think it was like an in route that was probably about, let's say three to five yards up and then in over the middle. And it was a real bang, bang play. It was, you know, <laughs> it was a fastball by the quarterback. You know, it was a two seamer right down the middle. I mean, it was coming in hot and what he did out of the break, which I thought was really impressive was there were literally two defenders draping all over him. Um, one behind him attacking at the catch point and one to the side. And what he did so well was coming out of the break, he understood the leverage of both defenders relative to the passing window that was being created. And he did a good job using his length. Again, we talk about somebody understanding their own skills and their own kind of capabilities and what opportunities they afford themselves as a result of being their certain size and shape. And he used it. He used it really well. He didn't just you know, manhandle the defenders. He actually shielded them off, but then he extended out in front of them using that length to take the ball at its highest point or shortest point between the quarterback and himself. And he grabbed the ball, pulled it in and grabbed the touchdown. And that, that nuance to me, those subtleties, I think at times may be lost on a player like Drake London, because I think to your point, Paul, I do think they see Brandon Marshall and Mike Evans who are really pretty good route runners and they don't they don't really get credit for that I mean everybody thinks Mike Evans go up and get it right but Mike Evans is not a bad route runner he can he could do some things maybe he's not creating separation but he gets you unsteady and destabilized in your ability to time when he's going up for the ball and that gives him a little bit of a little bit of an edge so I see a little bit of that in Drake London for sure yeah I mean I made note and talked about it that for a man his size, his footwork I thought was incredible. And I think you were yep. just kind of alluding to it. And yeah, he's got the body type of Mike Evans. So it's easy to see at the catch point he could do some Mike Evans things. But I think he's much more fleet of foot in terms of his movement than Mike Evans. And that's why I think part Brandon Marshall is intriguing because Brandon Marshall was a really good, tremendous route runner from inside in the slot who had really good footwork. Yeah, he had that toughness and physicality after the catch as well, which so does so does London. Jeff, any thoughts on any of those three wide receivers that I mentioned? Matt, you did such a great job on Drake London. Um, I'll touch on Justin Ross real quick. Um, I don't know if it's um, DJ Uyunglele. <laughs> I butchered, butchered his name. I'm sure we'll talk about him soon. I don't know if it's his struggles or, um, you know, just coming back from injury. You know, Justin Ross, it, it's not the same impact that, you know, I'm used to seeing from him. You know, it, it was a little bit, you know, maybe just a tough game. Wasn't um, such so dynamic as, um, you know, what I'm hoping to see. But I, I'm going to give it a little bit more time. You know, it's 
it's a rough injury to come back from. He's got to get confidence. He's got to get his legs back, football back. You know, it's one of the ones where, you know, I'm not panicking. I'm going to be patient through the season. And, and I think he's one of those ones who can start to surge um, right at the end of the year. And I'm hoping so because I'd love to see him get top 100 capital. And I think we kind of have to see that happen or else he might be kind of one of those you know, round five, round six, Donovan Peoples-Jones types that a team makes a chance on. Yeah, I mean, in the Justin Ross thing, I think when it comes down to it, it's going to be a lot with the NFL things of the neck injury, right? And George Pickens, who's missing this year, is another guy that those guys, at their best, they were top 50 picks. They were round one talents, right? Justin Ross, a couple of years ago, was basically pencil him in. He's going round one. George Pickens in the limited that we served him had round one potential. And now with the neck injury to Ross, the season ending for George Pickens, we don't kind of know where those guys are going to land. And I think Jeff brings up a good point there that for Ross, it'll probably be how the season rounds out more than how it starts and then the medicals. And if he closes out the year well and the medicals check out, he may be able to push himself back into, you know, round one, round two mix. But if not, if the year is kind of ho-hum and then there's some question marks about the neck, well, that's how we end up in day three. So that's going to be an interesting one uh, to follow closely. Uh, no real talking points at the tight end position. I didn't make note that Peyton Hendershot, uh, he's a guy who's going to be a day-free type guy, a decent pass catcher out of Indiana, had some off-the-field issues last year. Uh, but two years ago, he had a really good statistical year, seems to be getting back towards that. And then we mentioned them, I think, last week, uh, Jaheel Billingsley, a guy who was my number two tight end coming in. He was, he's been in the doghouse of Nick Saban in Alabama. He got on the field a little bit this past weekend, had a beautiful over-the-shoulder touchdown catch uh, in that game. I think it's just, if you haven't seen the play, he's wide open, but it reminded you a lot of how O.J. Howard made big plays vertically down the field in that offense, or even Irv Smith. Uh, Billingsley, just in that one play, you kind of see just the athletic ability, ability to get deep, the -the over-the-shoulder catch. He's going to be a guy that I think as the year unfolds, and he works his way out of Saban's doghouse, he's going to be a guy you're starting to hear a lot more about because he does have some freakish athletic ability at the tight end position that we are looking for. So let's take this over to the Debbie Slant Report where we talk about a couple underclassmen. Uh, Jeff mentioned them before there, DJ Ulangalele out of Clemson. He started this year for most as the top Devi quarterback, or if people want to have this year's guys ahead of him, then he was the top underclassman, not draft eligible quarterback. But Matt, let me go over to you. Like he has really had some struggles this year. And then on the flip side, Bryce Young at Alabama, he's just kind of taken over that job and, and just keep the Alabama offense elite, you know, another three touchdowns and a win against Florida this week. Should we be contemplating and thinking, or is it already past the point, it should already be done, that we should be maybe flip-flopping those guys in terms of Debbie quarterback rankings between Ulangalele and Young? I think you always have to be prepared to flip guys when you're talking about you know college players because we always talk about how things can dramatically change from one moment, one season to the next. So I'm not really necessarily perturbed by anybody who – takes Bryce Young and puts him at number one right now. I, I mean, honestly, they they were there was like a credit card, you know, thickness to their ranking in the first place, in my opinion. I think Ungalay for for the most part, for me, the reason why I I kind of 
stuck with Ungale over Bryce Young was because watching him in you know the Under Armour All American game coming out of high school, watching some of his high school film, he just showed a real kind of I want to say complete package for a man that's basically like a he's like Ben Roethlisberger size. I mean, he's huge, and he showed the competency and deft touch at the quarterback position where you thought for sure going to Clemson, this was just going to be fireworks. And to be very honest with you, in his short stint supporting Trevor Lawrence last year, he did a nice job. I don't think anybody will condemn what he did last year. In fact, I would argue that's the reason why he was the top guy, because of the way he handled himself. This year, I think it's safe to say that, you know, I think it's I think it's questionable. I think you have to start at least taking notice of what's going on. And as a Devi player, I think this could be a buy window if you really believe in his ability and talent. You're like, you know what? They have enough pieces in that offensive package to be functional and still win games and be in the conversation for the football playoffs. So I can't I can't really see Dabo Sweeney ever making a change right now. And for the most part, I think he's going to have the season to play it out unless he absolutely crashes and burns. Um, and, and I think that, you know, I think he's a player that if you still believe in, go get him. I think if you're scared, I don't know what you're going to get for him, to be honest with you. And that's the problem. So I think those of you that own Ungale right now, you're in a, a wait and see moment. And if I owned him in a league right now, I'd be okay holding on to him. I think Bryce Young is doing great. I think he's going to be a great quarterback, but Angle to me still has that that range of potential opportunities and outcomes that are still very intriguing because of what he can do as an athlete both inside and outside the pocket. Yes, he's not, you know, Cam Newton, but he's also not, you know, a pole in the ground and his arm is just incredibly lively and strong. So let's see if he can work it out. I don't want to trash on him quite yet. Yeah, when he stepped in last year, he was tremendous. And I think that's why many people did put him where they have him. You see some Dak Prescott to his game, the size, the frame, the arm talent, the athleticism. You're right. He's not he's not going to be Justin Fields or Lamar Jackson running, but he could make it a game, he can make an impact in terms of his rushing ability for sure. And then obviously he's got the arm talent and the size and the frame. Jeff, any, any thoughts on Ulongalele or Young? Just really quick on Uyunga Lele. Um, so I think Matt's right. Um, I, I don't, I think you do react. If, if you want to put Bryce Young up above him, that's totally fine because of what you're seeing now. Um, just be prepared that, you know, more information might come down the line and, you know, you might be flipping them back next year. Just development isn't a linear path, right? Um, it's one of those things where you're, you're, you get, put into new situations, you get put into new problems. You have to figure, you have to work your way through these. You have to figure them out and then things click, you know? And um, it's, I don't think Uyunglele, I don't think he was, I don't think it was like bad, bad. Like it, it, it's, it's definitely, he's going through a growth spurt, I guess is the way I would call it. He's going through a growth spurt, but there were still encouraging signs. Like, you know, pocket collapsing around him, going through, finding the check down, dumping it off, getting a first down on third and 14. Like, that's great. Um, so, you know, I still saw some good passes. I still saw some good signs. He did look like he was 
processing really hard that that engines on overdrive um so we'll see like you know he's young he's growing there's the tools are there um so it you know i don't i don't i don't think it's i don't either way you choose to go on your debbie rankings i i'm not going to argue with it but just i tend to be a little bit more patient with the way that i adjust things when it comes to rankings yeah, I think that makes sense. And especially right now, you know, Clemson just, you know, isn't what we're accustomed to right now. They have to get some things straightened out and their offensive line is very shaky. And obviously, you know, they're they're not playing at the level that we're accustomed to them playing. And I think DJ has definitely suffered from it. I have I have little doubt that Clemson will start to figure things out too. Matt? Yeah, I just want to add one more thing. I mean, because we talked about this, you know, we're talking about Angale and, you know, pressing the emergency escape valve button on him because, you know, because he's had a stretch. I just want to say, like, right now, you know, we didn't get a chance to talk about him, but I know that you guys are all fans of him. I mean, he was he was right there in what I still consider to be one of the most incredible classes I saw of quarterbacks, which was the Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. And the curious case and nonlinear evolution of Matt Corral should be the thing that we're thinking about when we're starting to think about guys like DJ Ungle because Matt Corral is a guy that I will never, ever give up on. And he now is starting to come into his own and people are starting to see some, pro- you know, progression in his ability. And listen, he was a wild cannon coming out of high school. He just had to have a coaching staff in situation that kind of let him work it out. I think Dabo Sweeney is going to let him work it out. If you think Dabo Sweeney is going to let him work it out, then I think the Ungale kind of issues, if you own him, I think you hold on to him. So I, I just had to bring up that parallel for what could happen because right now, Paul, you know it best because I know you got your ear to the grindstone. Matt Krause creeping his way into the top 20 of picks pretty easily. Am I, am I wrong about that? No, I mean, let's call it what it was. He was number third on my quarterback rankings when I when I did the Sky Notebook before the season started. And I put it with the caveat that I had questions on Sam Howell and there was still more I needed to see with Spencer Rattler that it's not inconceivable before April of 2022 that Matt Corral's my number one quarterback. And Stop there it. Will you're going to make me cry. There will be teams. I believe there will be NFL teams that have Matt Corral as their number one quarterback on the board. I truly believe we are going in that trajectory. And if people aren't, if people aren't realizing that that's where this is headed, it's not a two quarterback first round. I think we're ready at three quarterbacks in round one. And Oh, by the way, we haven't talked about him enough and we'll make sure we get to him. One of the upcoming podcasts. If Malik Willis isn't getting the attention he deserves, He's going to push his way into that mix too. We're looking at a four quarterback first round. And I'm not so sure by the time April rolls around, there's any clear, clear order of those four quarterbacks. So it's going to be really interesting uh, to kind of follow that. And I think he's a good guy to bring up in terms of linear development and progression because it's not linear and there's ups and there's downs and, you know, and there's, you know, major, you know, pitfalls that you got to dig yourself out of. And I think Corral is the perfect example for that. Uh, Matt, real quick, before we move on to the NFL stuff, any, any thoughts about a couple freshman running back or a sophomore Travion Henderson monster week, 277 and three yards kind of has put master Teague, you know, to the back burner there. I don't even know if Master Teague is a draftable prospect right now. 
Uh, Will Shipley at a Clemson, 88 yards and two touchdowns, making an impact as a freshman. And then while, while Brian Robinson is a nice, steady running back, senior out of Alabama, the sophomore, I think, is going to start developing more into their bigger weapon as this year goes on. And that's Jace McClellan. Yeah, he only had nine carries for 17 yards, but the potential for him to impact the game as a receiver as well as a runner, four catches, 41 yards, and a touchdown made an impact in that game against Florida for sure. Any thoughts about the two freshmen or McClellan there? I'm going to tell you right now, Will Shipley is probably not owned in your Devi league. Um, he may be. He may be. But I'm going to argue he's probably not. Most people probably kind of let see what happens with him. Go get Will Shipley. I mean, he's he's worth it. He's a multi-talented back. Travion Henderson. I I, I mean, I think it was I think it was Jason DiRienzo from our friends over at Devi Watch that put it very nicely in a tweet, and he said quite simply. At the end of this year, we might be saying Travion Henderson and Bijan Robinson in the same breath. And you know what? I don't disagree. Travion Henderson was ridiculous coming out of high school. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. And I hate to say it with such dramatic inflection, but that's true. He was just that ridiculous. And to see that he's getting the work early is only a testament to his skill set and his problem solving capabilities translating to the next level, which means they're only going to get more refined and better over time. And Will Shipley, there were questions. I didn't know. I didn't know if Will Shipley was going to translate hundred percent, but Clemson, they're doing a great job with him. He's a guy that's probably not owned in your Devi league and you might be able to grab him next year. And he's worth rostering as a player who could be again, we talked about James Cook, but at a much higher level, that all potential kind of multifaceted back. So I'm excited about both of them. And Jason McClellan, Paul, I don't really have much to add. I think you're spot on. I think he's the guy that, you know, to, to own in that backfield. I think Brian Robinson will find himself early on on a depth chart or a practice squad, and he'll, you know, he'll have an NFL career. He's still very, a solid black, you know, solid back. But, I mean, I don't know if he's, like we said, that three-down bell cow that you're looking for. You're certainly not grabbing him in the first three rounds of the NFL draft. He's going round four or later, you know. But I, I do like Brian Robinson. Yeah, I, I think Robinson's one of those guys who he'll be around five guy, round four, round, you know, four to six. He'll go mm-hmm. somewhere there. But I think McClellan is a guy who, again, as Alabama is in bigger games against bigger opponents, I feel like he could be a guy just like Billingsley's gonna, role is going to grow. I feel like McClellan is going to do that as well. So let's take this over to the NFL rookie report for week two. And Jeff, I'm going to come right over to you. Because, boy, this was a welcome to the NFL week for the quarterbacks. Trevor Lawrence, 14 of 33, 118 yards, two interceptions, look really bad. Jacksonville's got all type of problems. There's a lot of people that think Urban might not even last a year. They're not really putting him in ideal situations either. Zach Wilson could have thrown seven interceptions in that game. I watched that a good portion of that game. He threw four, and it, it – a couple more bounced right off New England defenders. He might have easily could have had seven interceptions in that game. 
Uh, Justin Fields came in for an injured Andy Dalton. He threw a really bad interception uh, and looked, you know, looked like a, a rookie for sure there. And he was only going against the Bengals. And then the only one that just was kind of steady this week was Mac Jones. But right now, New England's just not asking Mac Jones to do a lot. Like they're keeping the training wheels on. And that's kind of, I think, how they're going to try to play it this whole year there at, at, uh, at New England. So any thoughts on the rookie struggles? I think we just, we, we, we expect so much so quickly now, I think with rookies at all positions that, you know, we saw glimpses in week one of things that were, you know, but this week it, it was kind of a bring back to reality type moment for a lot of these rookies. hundred percent. I mean, think about this week, every time you start clamoring for your first round draft pick to start right away. Right. Um, it's hard to be an NFL quarterback. We talk about, we talked last week really well about, you know, rookie wide receivers going in and, and making an impact day one. And because you can kind of get them into a, you know, into an element where they're successful, but on the quarterback position, you can do that to a certain extent. You know, I think we saw a little bit with Lamar's rookie year. We saw a little bit with Kyler, his rookie year, but it's such a demanding position, right? Like, you know, you can kind of, cater around to their skills but you know it's it's one of those ones where you have to do everything really well um and you know it's i don't think this is any indication of who these players could be um, in the future it's just an indication of who they are right now yeah and i think you know, we all have to take into consideration that where these guys go and the system that is set up for them does dictate how much these guys make an immediate impact. And right now, the infrastructure with Jacksonville seems broken. The plan of attack seems broken. The Jets infrastructure has been very poor for a very long time. It's only been two weeks, but look at the success Sam Darnold is having with an organization and franchise and a coaching and a scheme with Joe Brady and Matt Rule there to put him in positions to succeed. We're seeing Sam Darnold look better than he ever did with the Jets. So if people think, yeah, okay, maybe a guy like Patrick Mahomes can be in any system and he could make the coach look good, but those are so few and far between. And let's not forget, Patrick Mahomes wasn't thrown to the Wolves his, his rookie year because he had a lot of growth and development because he was a very wild quarterback you know, in college that needed to be harnessed in. And maybe that year playing behind Alex Smith, one of the more under control, conservative, knows what his capabilities are. Maybe that helped Patrick Mahomes at least rein it in a little bit and understand when to take risks and when not to. So the infrastructure is not very good for some of these teams. Justin Fields, it might not be very good either. Matt Nagy does not look like he might be the long-term answer there with the Bears. So you're talking about the Bears, the Jaguars, and the Jets, who right now do not have the infrastructure ideal for, for a rookie quarterback. They all have poor offensive lines. Jacksonville is the best of the bunch, but there's other things going on there. But Chicago's offensive line is terrible. The Jets' offensive line is terrible, made worse by Mekhi Becton. So these guys are not in positions to succeed. And then the one who, if he does take over, that is potentially is Trey Lance, right? And the Trey Lance watch, you know, not a great performance offensively. 49ers came away with the win, but a little bit of a shaky performance from the offense for sure. Uh, you know, we'll see 
how that plays itself out. So it was just, a, I think, a week of reality in terms of what to expect out of rookie quarterbacks. Uh, the only two other things, because I think it was pretty much a ho-hum week, Najee Harris, a lot of touches, offensive line issues in, in Pittsburgh is going to kind of hinder him a little bit this year. Javante Williams stuck in a timeshare in Denver. Kyle Pitts more involved like he was last week, but just now the results to come with it. Uh, Devonta Smith, a slow week. You know, that's going to be an ebb and flow thing, especially with Jalen Hurts inconsistent. Uh, Jamar Chase saved himself with a big game, uh, one big play to end it. But the, the last place I want to go here in the NFL Rookie Report is Rondell Moore, while still only fourth in snaps for Arizona, he's making his presence felt. Now, one of those plays that makes the stats look a little bit more gaudy at 7-1-14-1 was a broken play that nobody was there. He just, you know, he sprinted. But it's clear when he's on the field, they're using him. And he's the prototype. Here in New York, this is how we want Kadarius Tony to use, right? When we see guys coming out like the Jahan Dotsons of the world, world or the Aeneas uh, Smiths of the world, we want them use how – Rondell Moore is being used in that Arizona scheme. So big week from him. I think his stock is way up. And then it was clear from this week that Trey Sermon still got some more digging out of the the doghouse in San Francisco, right? He ended up coming on the field only kind of like a result of injuries. Uh, you know, and then he, unfortunately he got a concussion on his one, I think it was his only carry of the game. Uh, so that's still something we got to monitor. Like, you know, maybe the injuries open it up, but but maybe not. So, Matt, any thoughts on the Rondell Moore usage or, you know, is he the prototype of how we want these the smaller guys to be utilized at the next level or anything with Eli Mitchell or, or Trey Sermon? I think, you know, when, when Rondell Moore was coming out, it was right on the heels. It was right on the heels of Rondell Moore being like a freshman or sophomore after his first big year. It was right on the heels of like Debo Samuel being drafted by San Francisco. And it was literally in that moment that DJ Moore, Debo Samuel, Rondell Moore, I think I put a tweet together about this. They're all within that realm of the types of players that can be very successful in the NFL because of the multitude of roles and their abilities to play you know, a variety of different positions in terms of wide receiver and a back out of the backfield. Both of those guys are okay on the, between the tackles or as a running back. And both of those guys can be effective after the catch on a variety of routes in the short to kind of intermediate range. And I think Debo Samuel is probably still potentially, you know, the pinnacle of this, but I think Rondale Moore has the abilities to challenge Debo Samuel for sure. Um, Rondale Moore was a guy I've been trying to get for years from people in Devi. Um, I wanted him badly in in our you know in our kind of dynasty league. I was unable to get him. Um, I I think Rondale Moore is pretty much sky's the limit in terms of what he could be doing. You know, in Arizona, uh, so I, I think it's 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 definitely stock way up. Um, I, I think for sure he's going to be very quickly becoming the second option on that team, which I'm happy about as a Christian Kirk owner because people may not be happy about that. I see the I see a world where they're coexisting quite nicely and not necessarily in opposition to one another because of what they can do at various levels. Christian Kirk is is very much again in that same mold, and DeAndre Hopkins can do a little bit of everything. And AJ Green can just go ahead and take on the outside. You can go four wide with that team very easily. 
and be very, very happy with what you're getting in that particular offense. And I think Kyler Murray is, is very well equipped to do that now. So I, I, I think, I think sky's the limit. I'm buying the offense to be honest with you too. I'm buying everybody that is wearing an Arizona uniform, but Rondell Moore for sure is the guy I'm investing in hardcore. Yeah, and and I think the Rondell Moore thing speaks volumes on at the receiver position in today's NFL. You don't have you can win different ways. Not everyone is going to be Jerry Judy and can just get open at will as a elite refined route runner. But the league now is all about Matt's been saying this since the first day of Saturday to Sunday. Space. Put these guys in space. Make them, you know, put the defense at conflict and and put these playmakers in space. It's a space game. Well, Rondell Moore is a space player, and their team knows how to use him. We are begging in New York to understand that that's what the Giants have to do with Kadarius Toney. Carolina does it with DJ Moore. You got to know what these guys are and what these guys aren't. 49ers do it with Debo Samuel. And it's important that the team knows how to utilize these guys because they can be such top level weapons. Jeff, any thoughts, either quick thoughts on Rondell or anything about the San Francisco backfield here as I feel like this is going to be a soap opera that we could kind of revisit just about every single week. The San Francisco backfield is always been a soap opera the last several (laughs) years. Um, We need to get like music for this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, you Full thoughts on Twitter. Elijah Mitchell looked like an average NFL back with a little burst and speed, but not a lot of nuance or power behind the line of scrimmage. Same thing I said last week. Sermon looked good. One carry out. You know, we'll. There's a lot to that. That saga is going to develop over the season, so we're we're not going to land on any resolution there. Um, so I'll cede my time there just to say Kyle Pitts looks like a top 10 NFL tight end already. He, he looks phenomenal. Just great hands, great after the catch. Really legitimate weapon um, that I think Atlanta is going to – he's just going to keep growing in that offense. You can see already he's a different style player, and we noticed, we noticed already. He's not Travis Kelsey. He's not George Kittle. But if, if people don't watch Kyle Pitts and think to themselves – he can be Baron Waller 2.0 and maybe, you know, I don't want to even want to say above right now because Darren Waller is just playing at an ungodly level right now. But he can be for Atlanta what Darren Waller is for Las Vegas, hands down. And, oh, by the way, Atlanta also has Calvin Ridley. So you're talking about, you know, two guys there that could carry that probably for another quarterback down the line who's going to step into having those two guys as the foundation. You know, we're talking about having the infrastructure and the support. Eventually, Atlanta's going to have a new quarterback, and he's going to have Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts at his disposal. So let's take this over to the final segment of the day, and that is the Dynasty Fantasy Report. Now, I do have a couple of things I want to bring up here, so let's kind of go a little rapid fire in here. Quick thoughts on these that we can revisit more down the line. Matt, let me go over to you first. Should we start to have some legitimate concerns for Dynasty about Saquon Barkley and Alvin Kamara? Alvin Kamara, without Drew Brees, we saw it last year. Not the same player. They just don't seem to get him the ball as often as they should. Even with Michael Thomas out right now, he's not seeing the the target usage that you would expect. That offense is just going to be a lot more shaky. And then Saquon, obviously coming back from an injury, 
talking about infrastructure. The Giants have not put the right infrastructure around Saquon Barkley to maximize his skill set. We don't know if he's going to be with the Giants long term if they move on from Dave Gettleman. You know, does ownership actually are they actually willing to cut? you know, ties with what they look at as the face of the franchise there. Should we have some concerns about Saquon or Alvin Kamara moving forward? So I'll start with Saquon Barkley. And, you know, it's just funny. A friend of the show, Sean Mishka, uh, who works at Emergent Movement, we we happen to be talking about this a little bit here and there. Um, so I, I don't want to take any words out of his mouth specifically and misquote him. I'm going to kind of more refer to the things that I observed and kind of where I was coming from and, and the sentiments that we overall shared. I think people got to realize that when you talk about the integrity of, let's say, a procedure that's done on any limb, any weight-bearing limb, whether it be the legs or you know something of that effect, whatever you're dealing with, I think what people forget is, is that the way in which the player is seeing the field as a result of the injury does change. So in other words, not just from a structural, physical standpoint are they healthy, but you have to understand that they have to kind of, they have to kind of, they have to develop new ways of seeing the field around them because their old ways of seeing the field, the action capabilities that they once possessed are no longer there, or at least they're not ready to be unleashed at that level. They may physically have the strength to do it. There may be enough stability in the actual limbs to to achieve the feat that they're imagining that they can do. But the lack of trust, the lack of comfort, the lack of uh, ability and practice being able to do that has changed the way they see gaps between defenders, the space that they have along the sideline, the ability to get around the corner, the ability to take an impact at full speed collisions, everything changes as a result of the injury. And it's not because of whether or not the injury was correctly repaired or not. It's because of all the other stuff that goes into what we talk about here about problem solving, about how it impacts the player's ability to solve problems on the field. It's a major, major, major issue. And I know I'm going to send this, I'm going to send this over to Jeff in a second because you're, you're raising a good point and I, and I want to bring that up. And I'm going to let you kind of talk about it. But I think that what what Sean and I were just kind of mentioning was when I watch Saquon Barkley on the field, I see a guy who's healthy. He's physically there, but he's not making cuts. He's not making cuts the same way he used to. Not right now. He's not seeing the field the same way he used to. He's got to get healthy. Adrian Peterson once upon a time went through the same thing, right, when he had his major injury. So we have to either ride or die right now with him. But I think he's not washed up, but he is certainly not seeing the field as he once was. And that's a result of the injury, in my opinion. As far as Kamara, I'm going to tell you right now, Sean Payton knows who his weapons are. I'm still buying that offense to try to figure it out. But I do think that you're right. I do think that if you can sell Kamara at full value, go ahead and do it. Um, I, I don't know who that taker is going to be, but if I got a full full value offer of him, I might I might consider letting him go, but I will say this before you let Kamara go. There are very few running backs that can age well. I do think he is one that can age well. He'll have a very long lifespan as a runner in a multitude of ways, and that's where I think McCaffrey and him are interesting in holding on to. So that's that's where I'll leave it. And Jeff, I, I don't want to pass it over to you and skip Paul, but I do want you to mention, what were, what, what were you referring to? Give, give, give listeners a little bit of an insight. Well, just as you were describing Saquon Barkley and his 
uh, transition coming back and and how he's feeling through his knee. And I mean, obviously he missed the first week. He's starting a little slow. He's getting his his legs under him. You know, it, it just reminded me of watching sort of Cortland Sutton come back this year. Um, you mentioned Adrian Peterson too, and you know we saw Cortland Sutton just absolutely dominate on the football field this last week. And I think there was one play that I remember seeing, I think in like either the last preseason game or the first game where he just had this amazing pivot on his reconstructed knee, you know, to just, you know, deceive at the top of his stem and break wide open. And there's just a breakthrough moment. And so I think you'll see it when you, you're going to see it with Saquon. And, and I don't know, I, that 41 yard run looked pretty good maybe not the breakthrough moment where everything's unleashed, but pieces are coming back. you like the pieces are coming back there. So if you say write or die, I, you know, I'm writing. So. Yeah. I mean, and listen, I think the, the level of concerns I think for both guys is maybe when you're talking about big picture, if you were doing a startup dynasty or you had these guys and you can sell, I'm not saying they're going to move down much in running back ranks, but I do think the, the question of running Saquon or Kamara or top level dynasty wide receiver, I think is now more of a legitimate question than maybe it would have been. Cause the truth of the matter is we talked before about how the infrastructure and the play calling impacts the quarterbacks. It does the running backs as well because the giants have force fed Saquon Barkley to be a mostly between the tackles player. They have never maximized the fact that even though he's a monster at like six feet, 230, he is also, he was in college. He is a space player. He is at his absolute best in space. I remember having this conversation with Matt Waldman before they were drafted. And that's why he liked Nick Chubb more than Saquon Barkley because of their just natural running ability as a runner, especially in between the tackles. Nick Chubb is better than him, but Penn State knew how to maximize him and put him in space. The Giants don't put him in space. Saquon Barkley should be used just like Christian McCaffrey. And I think people are waiting for him to have that Christian McCaffrey impact. Eight catches, 70 yards, 70 yards rushing, put him out in on the perimeter. Giants just don't do that, whether it's the offensive line, whether it's the play calling, they just don't do that. And I think that, you know, he overcame that his rookie year with an elite level year, but we haven't seen him reciprocate that moving forward. And we, we do now have to take a wait and see approach because he might be back physically, but as Matt said, he's not completely back there as the as the problem solver that he once upon a time was. He doesn't fully trust yet that knee to do some of the things that he does that we know he is capable of. Two guys who I have is major stock up, and when I update my dynasty rankings, they're going way up. Is Tony Pollard running back out of Dallas and Mike Williams wide receiver out of Los Angeles last year. I, I watched Dallas games, and I thought Tony Pollard was better than Ezekiel Elliott. More explosion, more agility, more burst, more playmaking ability. Two weeks into this year, nothing has changed my mind. I don't care Ezekiel Elliott's in the best shape of his life. Tony Pollard looks like a legitimate playmaker, and they might still have this massive split, but I think that Tony Pollard brings more to the table that that split should start closing a little bit. And he's a guy that I'd want to get everywhere in Dynasty right now because he's a guy who could have a back end of his career 
very similar to what we've seen out of Austin Eckler the last couple of years. That would not surprise me from Tony Pollard in any way. So he's a guy I want to move up a little bit in my rankings because I know we kind of hit that dead zone when we did our dynasty rankings at the running back position where like we got to like 23, 24, and then it was like, eh, I don't know. Pollard might shoot all the way up to that like 25 range for me when I when push comes to shove uh, because of I want to buy now. And then Mike Williams finally putting it together healthy, being used as a focal point. You watched the first two weeks of the season. He's been better than Keenan Allen, and he's been targeted more. He looks to be Justin Herbert's number one read, and then Herbert knows that Keenan Allen could be a safety valve. He's looking for Mike Williams first. And I know I was a big fan, and and Jeff, you too, of Palmer there, thinking that this was going to be it for Mike Williams, and maybe next year was going to be the Josh Palmer time, and we wanted to buy in because the connection with Justin Herbert I don't know. The way Mike Williams is playing early on this year, you know, he might be saying, I'm I'm a focal point here. You better make sure you bring me back here to keep me with this quarterback. So those are two guys going way up. Jeff, any thoughts on Pollard and Williams? Do you do you share my sentiment? Or you I know you mentioned before you're a little bit more reserved in in thinking about rankings jumps and rankings changes. Or are these two guys that when you go in and, and do some updates that you think it's inevitable that you got to move these guys up? Pollard will move a little bit for sure. I'll look at Zeke. Zeke might move down a little bit. So where I see this, I, to me, it's I, I got in a nice um uh back and forth a little bit over at Twitter where, you know, you, you start to see the uh, change of pace back is better than your lead back arguments these days. And it's, it's not as simple as that, right? It's the context, right? I think I saw some numbers where Zeke's running against eight man boxes, 70% of the time and Pollard's at like five man boxes, like 40% of the time. Um, so it's just like, it's not as simple as who had better stats. Um, but, but I will be moving Pollard up because it's very clear that he's carving a role out. And this was the type of game where you would see Zeke go for 180 yards, two touchdowns, six catches, 60 yards, because there wasn't a guy like Pollard to do that with him. And it was all Zeke. And it's not going to be all Zeke now. So Zeke will be an RB1. He won't be that top five. He's going to be that RB10 to 14. Um, and that's just kind of what he's going to be. It, he's locked in for two years with his contract. So I don't know if I see an Austin Eckler kind of breakthrough coming, but very much chase Edmonds kind of thing, which I think is meaningful and valuable. Um, so Pollard will really, I, you, you kind of hit the right range. It was sort of Pollard or like miles Gaskin, you're not kind of in that right um, conversation for me in my head. Um, and then Mike Williams wrote like, I think we talked about him when we did our rankings, Paul. I think he was one of the ones that I was high on, and and I don't know if you were quite there or not. So I don't know how high I'll move up in my rankings. But you know, I, when I mentioned on that show, he had already had a thousand yard season. He'd already had a double digit season. Struggled with some injuries. Just need to put it together. We heard, we heard this off season that the offense of the chargers will run through the X and Mike Williams is playing that Michael Thomas role. But, you know, I I don't know. I, Mike Williams might be a more dynamic player in that type of role. I mean, cause he can do even more. He might not be quite as nuanced as a possession receiver as Michael Thomas, at least especially right now, but he, he could do other things better as well. Um, I don't, I, Mike Williams is somebody that 
Um, I'm glad I have a couple shares, but I kind of missed the boat hedging instead of going all in. Yeah, and and he's a guy who yeah, you were higher than me. I he's one of my my first things that I I'm gonna move him way up in my in my rankings. He's he's gonna make a big jump, probably one of the biggest jumps that that I that I that I've made since I started doing the dynasty rankings over the summer. Usually I go in and it's tinkering unless it's an injury related. But Williams could be a guy who I could be moving up double digit spots, 10, 15, 20 spots based on where I had him, based on the early going here and what we could be seeing happen. And listen, the, the Elliott thing is interesting. At some point, Dallas has always pressed hard against the cap. At some point, do they go straight Todd Gurley? I'm not saying they're there yet. I'm not saying because Elliott's right now a better player than where Gurley was. But, you know, if next year rolls around and it's even more of a, a split, you know, between them, could it be that this year and one more year is it for Elliott? I think that's where the intrigue lies there with Pollard a little bit. Or does Pollard's contract expire and he gets out and maybe he gets an opportunity to go somewhere and, and really take on a much larger role? So I think there's a couple ways the Pollard situation can play out. Matt, let me bring it over to you. One final question tonight. And then, Jeff, I'll go back to you for one final question tonight as well. Kyler Murray last year was on trajectory to put up one of, if not the best, one of the best fantasy statistical quarterback seasons of all time prior to him, you know, getting hurt. And then he just wasn't the same player down the stretch. Right now, we're seeing him put up insane numbers from the start here. I know before the year started, he was at number three in my dynasty rankings, only behind Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, and then you know he was he was ahead of guys like Lamar Jackson and and Dak Prescott and stuff like that. And Deshaun Watson was the unknown. But Matt, should we be considering that he is is now pushing himself up with his running capabilities that we know is there, and him similar to Russell Wilson, an uncanny ability to never seem to get hit flush. He always just seems to get down, get out of bounds, and never take a big hit that you're overly concerned about him running at his size. Should we be start to thinking about him right now, right at the top? Like, should he be leapfrogging Josh Allen, who I know we're both big fans of? Like, are we on a point where he's starting to work his way that he could push Patrick Mahomes in the next year or two to maybe be the overall QB one in, in dynasty. Do we think, is it too early to think that or what we're seeing from the early gates, what we're seeing with the playmakers? Yeah. Green's not there for long. Kirk's not there for long, but is Rondo more opening things up now more for Kingsbury to run the sk- the scheme and system that he wants are we getting to the point that that maybe he should start being in the conversation at that QB1? And if not, should he be the guys that maybe right is on Mahomes' heels based on how much he runs? Yes. <laughs> Would you like to elaborate? Yeah. No, yes. I, I absolutely think I absolutely think that Kyler Murray should be the number two overall quarterback right now in Dynasty. I think he should sit right behind Patrick Mahomes still. If for nothing else that we've seen Patrick Mahomes do it um, continuously, we've seen Kyler Murray continuously do it. Um, but I do think that there were serious questions about, as we've said, none of these guys exist in isolation or in a bottle. There's the ecosystem that is their entire team. So this is more of a questioning of was Arizona going to put it together and give him the platform 
to unleash this ability that we're seeing. And I think the answer is to your point, Paul, is um, Cliff Kingsbury is unleashing the air raid, you know, inside of the NFL, right? Like throw short, run long. That's the air raid theme. Throw short, run long. And he's got the guys to do it now. You know, he's got the guys that can take off the top of the defense, but he's also got the guys that can create after the catch. And now he's got a quarterback guy who he handpicked, you know, and, and it was a very in dramatic fashion handpicked to run his offense. And I don't think there's one element of his game that is um, that is not transferable week in and week out. I mean, you're what you just what you just said about him being similar to Russell Wilson. I still cannot express in my in my mind or out there in, in this in this venue how impressive Russell Wilson is for what he does do like that. I mean, there is there has never been a quarterback that we've seen in our time that can get away with the things that Russell Wilson can get away with. And I, 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 and that, and that goes with Aaron Rodgers. and I love Aaron Rodgers. He's, he's phenomenal, but Russell, the hustle Wilson over there, man. I mean, he, he can do things inside, outside of the pocket and never seems to get hit. Well, you know what? Kyler Murray is taking what Russell Wilson did and he's taking what Patrick Mahomes does and he's integrating it in his own unique way. And he is just literally showing how silly all of our thoughts about the quarterback position have been for the last 60 or 70 years. So I think it's really puts us on, on note that if Kyler Murray's doing what he can do and it's working, then the expansive nature of what constitutes a quarterback should have been rewritten a long time ago. So I, I think it puts the NFL and everybody who analyzes prospects and calls them a quote-unquote scout should be on notice that there's a lot of ways to get the ball in the end zone, people. So let's not start pigeonholing people. So that I think it's a referendum is what I think it is. And I think he's number two in Dynasty. And I'd be happy to put him there and take him. Yeah, and listen, and the, and the margin from even one to two to three to four, it's very small. Like, I mean, yeah, Josh, this isn't this isn't a knock because Josh Allen has had two mediocre games to start the year. No. This isn't this isn't a knock who Lamar Jackson made sure to announce last night that he's still pretty good himself. Like, he's unbelievable, you know. So I I think we're talking about a razor razor thin margin, but it does appear that. Kyler Murray is kind of blending this. He's got the rushing ability of Lamar, but he's got the ability to never seem to get hit, even at like five foot ten. And he has the ability to play off structure on a Mahomes type level, also. So like it's kind of like all just converging together. And like, yeah, you watch Josh Allen, and Josh Allen is always going to be the, the the goal line runner. But Josh Allen does it the way Cam Newton used to do it, right? Physical, he's getting hit, and thank God he's a big, strong monster because he gets hit hard and he gets up. And that's how Josh Allen runs. That's how Josh Allen scores touchdowns. But eventually that wears on you, right, even if you're a bigger guy. So at some point, he's always going to be used near the goal line, but does Buffalo wean that back a little bit, you know, in between the 20s, and you know? That's to be determined. But Kyler Murray just seems like 
he's Allen Iverson out there as a football player. Like that's who he is. He's Allen Iverson. Like his movement, he, he, he never gets, he never gets hit. He's got the Russell Wilson factor. He can play off structure. He's got the green light to run whenever he wants, basically. So I think the margin is closing, you know, really fast, you know, at the top there. Obviously, we'd love to have all of them, but you know, I wanted to bring them up as, as such a hot start. And then, and then, Jeff, let's bring it over to you for final thing of the night. Revisiting the Brandon Ayuk situation, he played a little bit more this week. His snaps were slightly up, not really involved much. I know we all agreed last week that we'd be trying to buy in Dynasty and hope that this wasn't Dante Pettis 2.0. And there's a lot of reasons to believe it wasn't Dante Pettis 2.0 and we're not going there and he's still in the plans and he's going to still work his way back to being the playmaker that we believe. So maybe just round out the show tonight by sharing, you know, I know you went after him in one of your leagues and maybe just your general thoughts on how long, you know, maybe your personal take on how long you think it could take maybe for him to be a little bit more back to at least the full-time playing time usage or the role that we all envisioned for him. So just a timeline. Um, sometimes, especially on a road trip, you're just in the grind and, and getting ready for the next game. So you might not be integrating him, especially coming back from Miami. Um, at the at the latest, I'm, I'm kind of looking at the bye week, week five, um, for him to get kind of a reset and back into the offense. Uh, again, like I said, uh, same thing with Sermon. Just it's going to be an evolution, and um, you know, don't overreact too fast. Um, so I, I did. I went hard, and um, <laughs> I did get him in one league. It's an IDP league, so um, these these and a super flex and tight end premium. So these, you know, the depth goes into the second round. So I had to give up a couple second round picks, and the guy needed a wide receiver right away. It's Jarvis Landry. And the kill, you know, the the dagger was I had to give away Michael Gallup too, who I really like his his future potential there. But um, I really think all of those are are little pieces to what I think you can become as you know, really potentially top twelve, but for sure, kind of like I already think I have him right around that top twenty uh, dynasty wide receiver. So I'm looking for him to emerge up there um, by the rest by the end of this year, second half. Yeah, I mean, for sure it's an aggressive offer, but one that I think if week one and two didn't happen, I think people would be like, okay, like it, it makes sense. If you think he's a top 15 wide receiver with upside to even climb, like most thought, like, you know, I know, you know, Matt Harmon was going, you know, podcast hopping in the summer talking about how much he liked him and, and he thought he was one of the next breakout stars. And we talked to him and, and, you know, during the dynasty show, how much we liked them. So yeah, it's in a, it's a, it's a lot to give up a couple second round picks, you know, Michael Gallup and Jarvis Landry. But if, if we think we're getting a 23-year-old, I think that's what he is, you know, potential number one, high number two fantasy wide receiver, I think that's the that's a that's a respectable price to to pay. And probably the guy wouldn't have been willing to move if week one didn't happen at that cost. He'd probably be holding out for a first round pick with other pieces added in, some of those other pieces, but he would have wanted a first round pick. So and we know those second round picks, even in leagues that are super flex, even in those leagues that are IDP, 
yeah, they have value, but the hit rate of a second rounder is a lot lower than its perceived value. I think the perceived value of a second round pick is much higher than what its actual value ends up being. If, if somebody did, you know, I'm sure there's studies out there. If somebody did, you know, a deeper uh, statistical analysis. So guys, there it is. NFL draft report, Devi slant report, NFL rookie report, and the dynasty fantasy report all for you for this week. Hopefully you are enjoying this coverage. If so, please get over to the website, SS Football. It's the quickest way to get there. Check out the premium uh, content tab and check out what we offer as part of the premium notebooks. For $9.99, you get access to all three notebooks. You get two immediately, the scouting notebook with all our player profiles and scouting reports and the rankings notebook with all our different rankings. All these dynasty rankings we're constantly referring to are in there. NFL draft uh, eligible rankings, Devi rankings, dynasty rookie rankings. And then in April next year, you get the NFL draft projections notebook. You get all three for $9.99. It is the best way to support the show and help us continue to do what we do. So, for Matt, for Jeff, for our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.